If you're here for the first time with us, we're so thankful that you've decided to worship with us today. We hope and pray that uh, New City Church would be a place where you would continue to find uh, just rest and renewal in the Lord, uh, that you would be uh, revived week after week, uh, day after day, and just as a family, uh, we just, we're so thankful that you're here. You know, tonight, uh, before we jump into Jonah chapter 2, tonight uh, we have what we call a night of prayer and worship. Uh, we're super excited about this. Um, you know, it's... It, these nights have been foundational and incredibly influential in the life of our church. Um, this, uh, because prayer, for one, is the engine of our church. You know, this, this fall, if we're asking God to move in a way like we've never seen before in the life of our church, just with far more people coming to faith in Christ and uh, seeing more marriages and families restored and seeing lives changed and students uh, becoming zealous about their faith and kids just excited to jump in uh, and just learn more about Jesus and seeing more people called into ministry and long-term missions. Like if that's, if that's what we're praying for, then there's no question we must beg God in prayer to move. You know, seeing salvation and just radical life transformation, these things don't just happen on a whim. No, the hand and the power of God has to move in a mighty way, or really there's no chance this will ever happen. Like we as a people are utterly dependent on the power of God to move among us. And so what are we going to do tonight? We're going to gather together and we're going to beg God in prayer to move New City, may we just be a people that just refuse for anything, refuse to settle for anything else than salvation and radical life transformation in the lives of those around us. Like this is normal Christianity. And why? Well, because the resurrection uh, is true and the Spirit is alive. Like this is what happens when God's people walk in obedience and call out to God in prayer to move. And so again, I cannot emphasize enough. Come back tonight as we sing and we pray and just cry out to God together. And as I say that, as we jump back into the book of Jonah, looking at the second chapter of Jonah, I want to ask you just a really simple question. Just in thinking about asking God to move and among us and in us and through us. Let me just ask, do you believe that God could use you maybe with what you've done in your past. Again, we're praying for a spiritual awakening and revival and we're asking God to move among us, but how easy is it to say, yes, I want to see that, but with my past and my history and all of my sin, there's no way God would use me. Maybe thinking, like, uh, God wouldn't use me. No, he will certainly use someone else, but not someone as messed up and with the history that I have. Or, or maybe that's not the question you're asking today. But maybe you need to ask the question, do you believe that God could use you maybe with what you haven't done? Maybe you haven't been to church in years, or maybe you haven't ever shared the gospel, or you don't, believe, or don't, you don't know the Bible that well. I mean, just ask, whatever thing uh, you think you may need but you don't have, do you believe God could still use you? And church, just dream with me. Like, what if God's greatest work that he wants to do in you and through you are in the days ahead? What if the greatest ways in which God is going to use you and me and our collective church are in the days ahead? And again, maybe you just think, well, God wouldn't, uh, God, God could never use me. Look at what I've done. I've gone too far. I've done too much. My sin is too great. I'm too old or I'm too young. I'm not great with people. I'm shy. And on and on we could go. Let me just remind you of some of the people 
that God has decided to use for incredible kingdom causes. Noah got drunk and lost a blessing. Abraham was really old. Jacob was in a massive web of lies. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Rahab served as a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Peter denied Christ. Lazarus was dead. Paul was a murderer and didn't speak well. And for our time today, Jonah was in a downward cycle of sin and rebellion and was totally running from God. And I know this may sound kind of funny, but y'all, isn't that just strangely hopeful? (laughs) Y'all, my hope and prayer for today is that by the end of our time, we will be able to say, yes, God, here I am. I'm surrendered to you. Use me. But before we get to that point, we've got some work to do. And so this is how we're going to use our time today. I'm going to get us up up to speed, getting us up to uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, and then I'll give you our bigger idea for today. And then we're going to walk through chapter 2, and we're going to have four different anchor points kind of throughout our text, uh, but uh, just kind of help us keep our bearing. But in the last point, I'm going to give us five takeaways, quick takeaways, that show what a renewed life, kind of what a spiritual awakening looks like in the life of a person, no matter your baggage or history or story. So we, we'll see what God begins to do in us and how he renews us, renews us even in light of our past or in light of our uncertainty with what we can or maybe we can't do. But again, as we get into chapter 2 of Jonah today, I want us to remember what's already happened in the story. You know, last week in chapter 1 of Jonah, we saw God call Jonah to go to Nineveh, which was a very wicked place. In fact, um, some have said that going to, uh, going to Nineveh was a lot like a death sentence for Jonah. The Ninevites, um, in fact, they often boasted about how uh, cruel they were to others. And what did Jonah do? He was like, nope, I'm not going to that place. I'm not going there. So he went in the exact opposite direction. He got on a boat and went the exact opposite direction of where the Lord told him to go. And then we see him running from God's call. Like again, he gets on a boat, he's running from God, and then God sends a storm, and those on the boat find out that the storm, all of this is happening because of Jonah. And then Jonah gets kind of tossed out to the sea, sacrificed to the sea. And then at the end of chapter one, it reads, this is what it says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Like, this is the popular part of the story. Jonah got swallowed by a great fish. And I think it's fair to say, Jonah at this point is not in a good spot. Like, this is by no means like a day at the spa for Jonah. No, this was an awful experience for Jonah. Like, right when you think Jonah's storm in life couldn't get any worse, he then goes and gets swallowed by a fish. I'm just thinking about being inside the belly of a fish. I mean, just the acid of the fish guts, being stuck in there for three days, just getting smacked in the face with all the things that that fish ate on those three days. I mean, just swimming around um, with like, that's just like, this is not a good moment for Jonah. And I want us to remind us, you know, this is nothing short of a miracle that's happening here. Like, there's no way any man could live in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights and live to tell about it apart from the mercy of God. And again, as we said last week, if Jesus rose from the dead, if Moses parted the Red Sea, if God brought manna down from heaven, if God created the world with his very breath, it's not hard to believe that God could have a man live in the belly of a fish for three days. And so here is Jonah at the absolute lowest point of his life, just in total rebellion to God. I, I mean, he's literally in the belly of a fish. I mean, I think it's fair to say uh, 
they call this like a midlife crisis. And look what he says in verse one of chapter two. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. You know, I find this so fascinating. It took Jonah three days and three nights inside the belly of a fish of complete misery to finally reach out to the Lord. I mean, talk about a stubborn heart. But what we see here in this moment between the end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two, while he was still inside the belly of a fish, it is very clear God was not done with Jonah yet. No work still needed to be done on his heart. And as we said, uh, we said this last week, but we need to say it again this week. God didn't do all of this to punish Jonah. No, God did all of this to bring Jonah back to himself. Y'all, Jonah was a prophet appointed by God. He was a religious leader of the day, but there was an area of his life that he was holding on to that he wouldn't hand over to the Lord. So God, in his kindness, brought Jonah to a place of just total dependence on God, kind of down in the belly of the fish. Again, chapter two, verse one, this is the turning point for Jonah when he said, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Like Jonah had been running from God, he finally turned back to God and acknowledged him. And this is, what the, this is that fancy word that the Bible calls repentance. When we turn from our own ways, when we turn from our sin and rebellion, and we turn back towards God. And maybe uh, we hear that word repent, especially if you grew up in the South like me. Uh, maybe it uh, doesn't sound like a very kind word. I mean, I remember being in college, and a guy would stand up in the brickyard uh, on campus, and he would just yell at people to repent, to turn and burn, or turn or burn. And it was not done in a very loving way. And because of that, every time I hear that word repent, it's all, I, I think of it kind of in a skewed way, but we cannot miss that repentance, it's not an angry word. Repentance is an incredibly loving and gracious word. Repentance is a word that says, you have another chance. Repentance is a word that says God wants you to come back to him, that God is eagerly waiting for you to come to him. And again, I don't know where you are today, but maybe you're at a point of surrender and you're at the point where you just cannot run anymore. And maybe it's with your entire life or maybe it's with just a small area of your life that maybe needs to change. Maybe it's a hidden area of your life that maybe nobody knows about. Whatever it is, you're at the point of desperation and if this is you, praise the Lord. Because as we'll see, this is often what it takes to find spiritual renewal in our life, to be at a place where we are completely humbled under the hand of God. And we can't miss this. Yes, Jonah was running, but Jonah turned back to the Lord. And as we'll see today, he begins to hand over his life and yield his life back to God. Which leads us to our main idea for today. A life of ongoing repentance is a life that is yielded to God. That's our big idea. But again, my hope for us today is that no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, whatever obstacles you think you have, my hope and prayer is that we would all see and believe that yes, God can still use us in incredible ways for his kingdom, of, uh, for the kingdom of God. And we ask, how could God maybe use little old me, or how could God use messed up me, or how could God use me when I don't have this, or I've done that? Well, the answer is found in a life that is just yielded and surrendered to God. It's found in a life that is just regularly turning back to the Lord in all things. It's handing over our life day after day after day. Which leads us to our first point for today. Number one, turn to the Lord. 
wherever you are today, this is the call. Turn to the Lord. If you're not a Christian, turn to Jesus. If you're a celebrating Christian, or maybe you're a weary Christian, turn to Jesus. May we turn every area of our life over to the Lord. And when we do that, new city, God will renew us yet again. Like renewal happens day after day. New City, this is what we'll see in Jonah chapter 2, that the God of the Bible is a God of second chances. He's a God of redemption, a God who loves to use the weak of the world to shame the strong. Y'all, we, we serve a God that takes wretched sinners, he takes liars, murderers, those who have st- with stubborn hearts, and then God captivates them with a, grand, uh, with a narrative greater than themselves. God softens our hearts and gives uh, people like you and me new lives and new opportunities and new purposes to walk in. And the way in which God does this is through a life and heart that is yielded and surrendered to the Lord in all areas of our life. And this is an ongoing, this is a daily process that never stops. Again, every single day we have to almost re-surrender our life to the Lord. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, Jonah turns back to the Lord and church, that's repentance. Repentance is turning away from our sin and yourself and turning back towards God. I know we often think of repentance, we often think of it kind of like a, a one-time event when we come to Christ in salvation, we hand over our life to the Lord uh, and just for, uh, as in saving faith, and that is totally true. The scriptures tell us to repent and to believe and to walk with Christ, and that's how God saves us, but just like we never stop believing and trusting in Christ, we also never stop repenting. We never stop confessing sin. Like this is a normal part of the Christian life. And just to illustrate this idea, in our, our family, we're a, we are a beach family. We love the beach. Uh, any free day that we get on a Saturday, any free Saturday, um, a be- the beach trip is gonna be at the top of that list. Uh, sitting on the beach and getting lost in a book, like that's just my idea of a vacation. Throw a round or two of golf in there and I'm a happy camper, okay? But with the kids going to the beach, there's no question, like it's work, okay? It just is. I mean, up until a few years ago, when our kids were younger, uh, like I was the family pack mule dragging every single toy possible out to the beach. Now that my kids are older, if they want something at the beach, they have to take it out, them, out, out themselves. And so they take like a shovel and maybe a football, and that's about it. Um, which also means they just spend more time in the ocean. But what happens when they go into the ocean? It's easy for them to drift down the coastline often without them even realizing it. And so we have to regularly say to them, you need to come back. You need to turn and come back. And y'all, this is exactly like our relationship with God. We have to continually refine our bearings and come back to God because our natural inclination is to just drift into sin and self-centeredness and rebellion. I mean, every day we wake up, we need to regain our bearings and to make sure we're going in the right direction. I mean, it was C.S. Lewis that said, relying on God has to start over every day as if nothing has ever been done. And we have a life that is submitted to God in continual and ongoing repentance and continually turning back to to the Lord. God can and will use us for his kingdom purposes no matter where you've been and no matter what you've done. And the question is not, are we good enough or holy enough or prepared enough to be used for God's kingdom? No, the question for the kingdom is, are we submitted to the king? Are we submitted to Jesus in everything? 
And y'all, this is such good news for those who find themselves maybe feeling far off, who've lived in rebellion and disobedience because when we turn back to the Lord and submit to the Lord, y'all, we get a second chance again. If the story of Jonah tells us anything, it tells us that we're never too far gone to turn back to the Lord. Listen, I, I know we're only one verse into chapter two. But that first verse, it changed Jonah's life. He cried out to the Lord and he turned back to God. So for the rest of our time, we're gonna keep going through chapter two. We're gonna pick up the pace some. But the first step of turning to the Lord was a massive leaf in how God used Jonah as we'll see next week. You know, it was was Martin Luther that said, God created the world out of nothing and he will do nothing with you until we're in a position to say, Lord, I am nothing but create something out of nothing. And at this moment, this is, this is Jonah's heart posture. Let's keep moving. Look at verse one again. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, and look at verse two, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. I mean, real quick, let's just stop and think about this, because this is just pure gold. So here's Jonah a man who had intentionally been running in the opposite direction of God, trying to hide from God in the depths of a boat, and after three days of stubbornness, stuck in the belly of the fish, he finally cried out to God. And what we can't miss is that God in his righteousness and in his fairness, he could have completely just left Jonah over to destruction. But no, God kept his hands on him, and as soon as as Jonah called out to the Lord, God was there. Jonah said, out of my distress, out of the belly of Sheol, some translators say with that verse, out of the depths of the grave or out of the depths of hell. And then Jonah said, you heard my voice. Church, how good is this? Again, again, Jonah was clearly, he was not in a good spot. He felt like he was literally dead, yet God was right there in an instant. New City, this is the steadfast and this is the unwavering love of God. And and y'all, what I'm about to uh, compare this to, I know is not the exact same as the steadfast love of God. But let's be honest here, every illustration falls short at some point, so hang with me. But y'all, I love my dog. I do. I think we have the best dog. Not everyone feels this way, uh, but, you know, I've sent my, I I love her. I sent my finger. She comes to me. Uh, I call her. She immediately listens. She's incredibly loyal to me, at least, and I love it. But just think about uh, the loyalty of a dog for a second. I mean, just think about the craziness of this. I mean, so we lock her up. We put her in the crate for hours at night. She's literally there waiting patiently all night, sleeping. She doesn't complain. Maybe several hours sometimes during the day. And every single time she's been locked up, guess what? She's not mad at me. (laughs) No, she's excited to see me. It's like we've never even locked her up. A cat, on the other hand, totally not the same. You lock a cat up and that thing is trying to slit your throat and kill you on the way out, okay? But not dogs. No, we lock them up, we ignore them, put them away, act like they don't exist at times, and every time you come back to them, they're just sitting there wagging their tail, eagerly waiting for us and excited to see us. And church, how much more is God eagerly waiting for us to return to him? When we've ignored him and essentially tried to lock him up maybe and put him away and act as if he doesn't exist, even then, when we call out to him, he answers us. 
And no, he doesn't like our absence, not at all. But every time we come to him, he welcomes us with open arms, just eager to be with us. And when Jonah turned back to God, God didn't discipline him out of anger. No, he showed compassion towards him in love. And look what Jonah says next in his prayer. I think many of us can probably relate to these next few verses. Much of Jonah's feelings come out here. Look at, look at verse 3 to 7. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And I think if we're honest here, we can relate to many of these emotions in the midst of a really challenging storm. You know, Jonah here, after he turned to the Lord, he was honest with the Lord. Uh, He was recounting what happened in that storm. He says, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. He said he was surrounded by a flood. In verse five, he said, the waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds, he says, were wrapped around his head. He said, I was driven away from your sight. And so Jonah here very much felt like he was driven away from God. But yet we know as the reader of Jonah that God very much had his hand on Jonah in the midst of his running. And this is very important to remember. Again, when we're going through the midst of a storm, we may not feel close to God, but yet God is right there. Whether we feel like it, it whether we feel like it's true or not, God is with us. Maybe it feels like we're far from God when our finances are under stress and we say, "God, where are you?" Maybe it feels like we're far from God when our kids are living in disobedience or when we've been praying for someone for years and years and it seems like there's no answer. We think, God, are you even listening to my prayers? And please listen, God cares about our feelings and emotions. He does. They're very much a part of God. He, can, he created them. He can and will use them. He uses them to bring about conviction of sin. But look how God got, look how Jonah got his bearings back. I mean, look how, I mean, almost like he was drifting, and look how he, uh, like he was able to correct his drift away from God. Verse 7, it says, he remembered the Lord. Jonah, he says, I remembered the Lord, which is our second turn. Number two, remember the Lord. He'd been essentially drifting away in the ocean. He got woken up uh, by God in a time of distress, and then he got hit by a wave of God's kindness, and he remembered the Lord. I mean, God, Jonah got out of the wave that God used to knock him over and to wake him up, and he remembered to look at his bearings on the beach, and he remembered the Lord. And so let's just ask this simple question. What safeguards do we have in our life to help us remember the Lord? Again, our natural inclination is just to drift away from God. And as we said last week, we have, a, we have metaphorical boats, so to speak, that our enemy is getting ready all around us and is ready to take us away from where God calls us to go and to take us into a downward spiral of isolation and sin and rebellion. And I know I say this often, but it's so true. You know, one of the greatest detriments to our spiritual health is that we get gospel amnesia. We just forget 
Like maybe we know Jesus, but uh, maybe we know the gospel. Maybe we know that God is relentlessly pursuing us and we know that he will never leave us or forsake us and he's always with us. Like if you ask, do you know these things? Maybe we would say yes, but yet we just wake up and we forget and we just lose sight of it. So again, how are you remembering the Lord in your life? Do you have a regular discipline of being under the teaching of God's word? Do you have a regular habit of feeding yourself the word of God? Do you have people around you helping you to remember the character of God? Well, this is what our city groups are for. If you're not in a group, I cannot stress enough, get into a group. If you're not serving, jump on a serve team. This is how community is formed. These things help us to remember the Lord. And so Jonah, he remembered the Lord, and then we see a complete shift in his demeanor in what he says. And y'all, chapter 2, verse 8, in the book of Jonah, this is the crux of Jonah. This is the, this is the linchpin in the entire book. Everything is leading up to this point. Everything that Jonah was dealing with comes out in verse 8 of chapter 2. In fact, uh, this is the exact halfway point of the book. It's another creative way the author uses uh, to help bring out the big idea of the book. Everything up to this point in the book of Jonah has been spiraling down, kind of reflecting on Jonah's downward cycle of sin and rebellion. And then in verse 8, it all starts to come back, shift back upwards. Look at verse 8. Jonah said, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Again, this is the linchpin of the entire book of Jonah. God was waiting on Jonah to turn back to him and show him so he could show him his steadfast love, but instead, Jonah wanted to trust in something other than the Lord. And so Jonah here admits and recognizes that he has been disobedient to God's command to go to Nineveh and that his disobedience to God's mission was because of vain idols, as he said in verse Eight. Jonah knew that going to Nineveh would be difficult and challenging, that just maybe it would put his life in danger. And y'all, we don't know uh, what Jonah's idols were here, but we do find out later in chapter four that Jonah didn't want Nineveh to repent. Uh, and he didn't want them to turn to the Lord. Like who, may, who knows, maybe he idolized control. I mean, I think we can make the argument that he probably idolized his own self-righteousness maybe, thinking that he was just better than them and he didn't want them to turn back. Maybe he idolized comfort because he knew they would be a complete mess and maybe, not maybe, but probably very difficult to work with. Or maybe something else. It doesn't really matter because here's the thing. Jonah recognized there was an idol that was drawing him away from the Lord and that he was seeking to find hope somewhere else rather than in the steadfast love of God. You know, an idol is simply anything we put in front of God. Anything that we're tempted to worship and to be in all of or to let, maybe to let dictate our life or to direct our life instead of God. And y'all, you know, we today, we're all just like Jonah in many ways. We all have idols in our life that are hindering us from completing and obeying God's mission at full force. And so the next call for us today that shows a life that is yielded to the Lord is to number three, forsake idols. You know, we all have to decide what are we going to yield to? What are we going to be submitted to? Like, is it, are we going to be submitted to the Lord or are we going to be submitted to the idols of our life? And listen, I, idols can, they don't have to be little statues of other false gods. No, they can be all different types of things that draw us away from God's purposes. I mean, I can list off a hundred things that, could put in, that we could put in the place of God that we're tempted to worship and let direct our life. Maybe it's comfort or ease of life. 
Or maybe it's our schedule or how we view our time or maybe it's success or money or our career or a relationship or a hobby. We have to know these aren't all bad things. But how easy is it for us to let good things rule and dictate our life instead of the Lord? And what the book of Jonah is showing us is that these idols we have in our life, they often will keep us from carrying out the mission that God has given us. I mean, how easy is it to let the idolatry of how others view us, maybe, maybe, the, maybe our reputation, keep us from sharing Christ with those around us? Or maybe our calendar or our schedule or our me time or our fun time. How easy is it to let those things keep us from serving in the church or being in groups or doing ministry in some way? Now there are so many things that can hinder us from living out the mission and the purpose that God has put on each of our lives. And yes, idols, they can affect the outward expression of God's mission, just like we see here in the book of Jonah. But we also can't miss that the idols in our life, they also affect our inward worship that belongs to the Lord. Y'all, God created us to worship him. Our God, he is a jealous God that doesn't want us to worship any other gods or any other things in front of him. No, he wants our only worship. He is the one true God. Like idols in our life, they hinder us from experiencing full life and full worship and full delight in the Lord. Let me just think about this. Maybe we don't want to let people in our life. Or maybe we don't want to be fully transparent. Or maybe uh, we do this for maintaining the idol of our reputation. You know, maintaining, just, just trying to maintain the idol of our reputation, it will totally crush and steal our joy that God wants us to find. He wants us to find that joy and in, in just satisfaction in his steadfast love and nothing else. We could go on and on about these things. But New City, we must remember God's mission and God's grand purpose is to bring about worshipers all over the world, which includes you and me. He wants all of us. He wants, our, he wants all of our worship. And so church, what are we holding back from the Lord? What idols are we putting in front of Jesus? Maybe we know what it is. Maybe we don't. But a good test that would likely lead us to our idols would be just maybe just follow how we spend our money. Maybe follow how we spend our time or Follow our fears and worries. Follow maybe what we daydream about, what we think about all the time. And I'm not saying these are all idols in our life, but I am saying these are certainly potential idols. We all have these. I mean, we're just, we, we need, we all have, we're like, one pastor said we're like idol factories. We just keep creating idols in our life. <laughs> and we, we need to keep a close watch on them. Because you see Jonah in verse 8 is acknowledging that his idols affected his obedience to God's mission. And we can't miss this. That Jonah's actions of physically running from God, it was an outward expression of an inward struggle. And Jonah's inward struggle of vain idols, as he said in verse 8, it was hindering him from an outward expression of God's mission. I mean, just think. Well, there are 50,000 college students at USF. And just ask, what is hindering you or me or any of us in reach, seeking to reach and disciple just a few students? What's, maybe just ask, what's keeping you from starting a Bible study, maybe in your neighborhood, or maybe just trying to start some sort of weekly hangout with people who don't know Jesus for the purpose of maybe seeing them come to Christ? Or what's keeping us from loving and pursuing our neighbors and our coworkers and our classmates and sharing the gospel with them? And we say, I can't do that because, or just ask yourself, what's the because? 
New City, there's no, question, no questions asked. If we are a Jesus, if we're following Jesus, there is a call on every single one of our lives to make disciples and to reach the lost and to serve the church and to be in the word and to be generous with our resources and to be in biblical community. And so just ask, what is the excuse that is keeping these things out of our life? Again, just follow the trail and we'll pr- probably find some sort of idol. New City, this is the book of Jonah. God relentlessly pursued Jonah, and in his pursuit, he went straight towards his heart to rid himself of things that were hindering his full worship and full obedience to the Lord. And inside the belly of of the fish, Jonah recognized his sin. He recognized he needed God. He recognized the source of his struggle, and he turned away from it. Oh, again, this is how repentance works. We turn away from sin and self, and we turn back towards God. And then in verse 9, we see the turn towards God. We see his demeanor. It starts, again, it starts to spiral back upwards, and he turns towards thankfulness and obedience and to renew his vows to the Lord. Look what he says in verse 9 and 10. Jonah says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And I love how chapter 2 ends. Jonah, he's still in fish guts here at the end of chapter 2. And he begins to praise and thank God, uh, and then he gets vomited out. I mean, how, how gross is that? I guess we could say it, being vomited out was God's kindness because he probably could have gone out a different hole. <laughs> but y'all, I just pictured Jonah here covered in fish guts and throw up, flying through the air just in complete joy with a huge smile on his face saying, thank you, God. And that's how a life of repentance works. We turn from our sin and filth, and in Jonah's case, his physical nastiness that he was in. And we run towards God. And no, not completely cleaned up, but we run towards God in our filth, and he loves every bit of it. And Jonah here is beginning to see number four. He's beginning to find renewal. And so in just the last seven or eight minutes of our time, I want us to just kind of take a step back from the text and look at just a few big picture ideas that we see from Jonah chapter two that show a life of of marked by repentance, a life that is yielded to the Lord. This is a renewed life. This is what it looks like. And there's five indicators that I want to show us Uh, that show a life of spiritual renewal. And the first is that a renewed life is a life that is found humbled under the hand of God. You know, Jonah clearly was humbled under the hand of God. He was brought low by God. He was brought to a point of utter dependence on God, and it led him to his renewal. And so let's just ask, can we say that our life is marked by complete dependence on God? This is such a scary, but this is such a good prayer to pray. We should pray for God to bring to light the areas in our life that need to be humbled. Because being humbled by God in a life of repentance, they go hand in hand. Because when we've been humbled by the hand of God, it moves us to repentance. This is what the gospel shows us. In order to see the glory of Jesus, we have to understand our own sin and filth. Because in the gospel and through Jesus, through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus that was shed at the cross, when we trust, put our trust in him, we go from rags to riches. We go from lowly orphans to child of the king. We go from enemy of God to child of God. But this doesn't come unless we're humbled by God and recognize our need for Jesus. 
Now, Jesus went to the cross to die, not so that we would be prideful, but so that we would depend on him for everything. This is the beginning of a renewed life. It's coming to God and saying, I have nothing but God, you have everything. And then next, the second indicator of a renewed life that's yielded to God is that a renewed life longs for the presence of God. Again, Jonah turned away from his rebellion and turned towards God. He was physically running away from God. And then he longed to be back in the presence of God. In verse 2 it says, he called out to the Lord. Jonah wanted to be back with God. And so just ask, what do you long for? Do you long to be in the presence of God? Do you long to be with God in worship? Do you long to be with God in his word? Do you long to be in prayer with God? Again, this is an indicator that we have a renewed life, that we long to be with God. The third indicator of a renewed life is a renewed life is hungry for the word of God. And this one's a little bit more uh, abstract coming from this chapter. But when we look at Jonah's prayer, y'all, Jonah, he is straight praying the Psalms. Almost every single verse is derived from a from, from the Psalms, Psalm 30, Psalm 30, 131, Psalm 120, Psalm 18, and many more. There's a couple in there from Ecclesiastes. I mean, this entire thing is just rich with praying the scriptures. He was a prophet, and so he, by nature, he knew God's word, and then he ran from God. But then where did he go when he called out to God? He went right back to God's word. He prayed the scriptures. And so just ask, are we longing to be in God's word? Are we hungry for the word of God? Then the fourth indicator is is this. A renewed life is committed to obeying God. You know, in verse 9, Jonah says, what I have vowed I will pay. He's essentially going back to his commitment to God. God called him to be a prophet. That was God's will for his life. And he was recommitting himself to walk in obedience and doing what God had called him to do. So just ask, what are the things that God has called us to? And then will we walk in obedience to that call? I mean, there's so many things, so many callings we all have as, as Christians. God has called us to first follow Jesus, to surrender our life to him. If you've never given your life to Jesus, that's the call today. Get, turn your life over to the Lord. Turn back to God. That's, he's calling you. He's also called us, if we have done that, he calls us to obey his word. He calls us to share our faith and to make disciples. He calls us to love our neighbor. He calls us to love our husbands and wives and to grow our kids in the way of the Lord. We could go on and on. There's so many things that he's called us to. There's also specific callings. I believe the Lord gives each of us. He calls us all to love the orphan. Some are called to give, maybe. Some are called to help orphan organizations. Some are called to physically adopt them into their family. He calls all of us to the nations in some way. We all can give and we can all pray, but some actually move their life into a cross-cultural context to to see the nations come to Christ who've never heard the name of Jesus. Again, we're all called to make disciples, but the where and how of that calling can all be different. And here's the thing. When we start saying, God, not my will, but your will, not my desire, but your desire in every single area of our life, God will move in and through each of us. This is what it looks like. This is what it is like to have a life that is yielded to God. And then lastly, a renewed life is committed to seeing others find salvation in Jesus. You know, at the end of the chapter in verse 9, Jonah cried out to God and said, Salvation belongs to the Lord. 
Jonah has realized that it is God with whom salvation belongs, and it's not up to Jonah. Because remember, Jonah, he refused to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go to Nineveh to experience, he didn't want them to see the grace of God. In essence, he was taking their salvation into his own hands and saying with his actions, they don't deserve it. He never said that with his mouth, but his actions spoke loud and clear. And we can't miss this. Jonah didn't want to preach grace to Nineveh because I don't think he had totally experienced grace himself. Like he knew God's loving kindness intellectually, but I don't think he'd ever fully experienced it until he was deep down in that dark pit in the belly of the fish. I mean, isn't it interesting that once Jonah experienced the grace of God in his life, it was then that he became committed to obeying God, to seeing the grace of God and salvation experienced in other people's lives, to actually go and do what God called him to do. And you know, this last indicator of a renewed life, this is just a simple outpouring, and this is the result of all the first four. Just think about it. When, we're, when we've been humbled by the hand of God and understand our need for Christ and we long to be with God and long for God's word, and we're yielded to obeying the Lord, when we've experienced the goodness of God in these things, why would we not want others to experience the same goodness and joy that we've experienced in the first four? And listen, I, I know. I know the danger in seeing a list like this. I mean, it's so easy to just freak out and say, oh no, I need to be more humble. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to do this and this and that because the Bible tells me I need to do all these things. And I need to be renewed and I need to share my faith more. Just a long list of things to do. No, the first step is to simply just come to Jesus. Just turn to the Lord. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian here today, that's the call. Turn to the Lord. Hand over your life to him. Hand over every single area of your life because the God of the universe is eagerly waiting on us to call to him and to turn to him so that, he can, so that we can be with him, so that he can come to us, so that, we can an- so that he'll answer us. Just turn and he'll answer you. Listen, if you proclaim Christ as Lord, the Spirit of God is literally inside of you and the power of God is just waiting to come bursting out of you. And all we have to say is, Lord, take my life. Take all of it day by day. God renews us. And then he also uses us. And I want to end our time today just by coming around to that last the question I asked at the beginning of our time. Do you believe that God can use you? Like right now in your life, do you believe that God can use you? And my hope and prayer, again, I just hope and pray that it is emphatically yes, because a life that is yielded to God, surrendered to God, is a life that is used by God. I I 100% believe that God has so much more for each of us in this life, like he's not done using any of us. And I don't know what it is that God is calling you to, or who God is calling you to, but I know this, he's pursuing you. God wants to use you, and I know that he can use you. May we simply just open up our eyes to see and just be yielded to the purposes of God. May we simply just turn to the Lord, and he'll answer you. He's waiting. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. You're so kind to us. God, your love, it never fails. It never stops. 
God, no matter where we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've been running, no matter how much we've messed up, God, you delight in using us, not because of us, but simply because our life is turned over to be used by you. And God, my hope and prayer is that each and every single one of us will just be able to say, God, our life, my life is in your hands. Take it. Take it, God. God, we need your help. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.